John chapter 11. I'm actually, uh, if you haven't brought your Bibles today, um, or if you're visiting with us and don't have a Bible, you will grab that pew Bible uh, because I'm going to read from John chapter 11, starting with verse 1, which I've not printed in the worship guide for you. Um, So I'm going to read from John chapter 11, verse 1, and if you've got the pew Bible, you'll find this on page 897. I'm going to read John 1, um, John 11, chapter 11, verse 1 um, through 16. And then I'm going to pick up again at verse 38. This is God's word. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother, Lazarus, was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he who you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha. And her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews are just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? And Jesus answered, are are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble Because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. And then picking up at verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Would you pray with me one more time and ask God's blessing on his word, priest, pray together. Oh Lord, help us. To see Jesus break into the darkness with the light of your word. 
help me. Lord, help us to hear. But most, most honestly, Lord, help us to believe. For there's still so much unbelief and doubt in our hearts. So we pray this, begging for your spirit to work. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is a treasured passage for me. Um, about 15 years ago, I lost two of my best friends in two days. One had succumbed to a brain injury, one had killed himself, and I was asked to preach at the funeral of a suicide victim who was one of my best friends. And where else to go but John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Because I thought and I still think that we have to talk about dark things openly and honestly, right? If you have a Christianity that's always positive and has no darkness, then you don't have biblical Christianity. You don't have the Jesus of the Bible if you don't have a Jesus who is able to speak and and help us deal with the dark things of life and the dark emotions of life, the personal experience of personal evil, the sufferings of this world, are the two most universal experiences. The third is death. All of humanity, all of everyone gathered in this room today, all of us are prone to the darkness of personal suffering and the evil of our own hearts and death. And if, if Jesus can't speak into these things... And we don't have the Jesus of the Bible. And for some of you, the experience of suffering is the major hurdle to you coming to Christianity, to coming to Jesus. Right? If the God of the Bible is all good and the God of the Bible is all powerful and evil and suffering continue in this world, then that God can't be true. And that's a major hurdle for you. And I think it's a good question. It's really, it's really. If I'll be honest with you, if you're not a Christian, I think that's the question that most plagues Jesus. That's the biggest question. That's the biggest hurdle that the Bible has to get over. But let me suggest to you that there's sort of a hidden assumption when we ask that question, even though it's a good question. And the, the hidden assumption is that unless I can see that it is good, then it can't be good. But if the God of the Bible is the true one true living God, then we would expect his purposes to be unfathomable. Even if he were to sit down and, and lay out for us all of the good reasons that he is accomplishing in whatever personal evil we might see. It would, be like, it would be like Einstein trying to explain general relativity to a two-year-old. It, you know, it would make sense, but the two-year-old's ability to comprehend it is, is beyond their ability. And so the purposes of God, while always good, are sometimes unfathomable, oftentimes unfathomable. You see, it's not an argument that the Bible gives to us for the problem of evil, it's a person. 
who enters into struggle and sorrow with resurrection power. And Jesus had just told us in John chapter 10 that he is the good shepherd. And we'd seen last week that that sheep are vulnerable creatures who need to be cared for by one who is who has their best intentions in mind, who is stronger than anything they face because we're vulnerable, simple people. We need a warrior who shepherds us. And you see that John starts John chapter 10 with, or John chapter 11 with now. That's a conjunction. He's joining this together. It's as if he's saying, look, you want to know what the good, how the good shepherd, he's the good shepherd. This is how he's going to lead his sheep. John says in John chapter 1 that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness is not overcome it. And, and we could hear that and become just too overly optimistic. We're going to create unrealistic expectations. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. And Jesus is the good shepherd and he cares for his sheep. He lays down his life for his sheep and that could create unrealistic expectations that everything is going to be great. There's going to be no suffering and pain. It's always going to be light and no darkness. And so then John John chapter 11 inserts it right here. But he makes it clear that sometimes the good shepherd lets darkness invade our lives. We read this, and or Adam read this in, in Isaiah 45, this great beginning of promise of restoration after Israel had been sent into exile and was living under, out of the land under foreign invaders. And this is what God says to him, I form light and I create darkness. I make well-being and I create calamity. I am the Lord who does All of these things. And in John chapter 11, what Jesus is saying is is that I am, I'm not silent in the darkness. I'm present. And I'm present and I'm working. Here's the setup. Here's the problem. In John chapter 11, a man that Jesus loved was ill. We are told this twice about Lazarus and Martha and Mary. Jesus loved them. And so the two sisters send messengers to tell Jesus the one that you love is ill. And just to be clear, as as if we're not picking up on what John's laying down, he tells us that means he's dying. And then he dies. And Jesus has healed others from afar. They're asking for help. Darkness has invaded their lives the brother that they love, and again, in the ancient Near East, that was a, a man withstanding. It was probably a wealthy family. Most of that wealth probably was reliant on Lazarus. So this one that they're dependent on, that they love, he's dying. And the darkness is invading their life, and they ask Jesus for help. Now, Jesus has healed many from afar. He's healed a man born blind. He's healed a, a man who is lame, so he gets up and walks away. Centurion sends for help, and Jesus just speaks, and, 
And when a man gets home, his son is healed. He, Jesus is like, this is not beyond his ability. But this time, this time, as they're asking for help from the darkness, the darkness further invades their lives. Jesus waits. And Lazarus dies. And the darkness penetrates even deeper. He was about two days away at this point, probably two days' walk. He had gone the other side of the Jordan where John had been baptizing. Bethany was right next to Jerusalem. That's why the narrative about him dying is going on with his disciples because the Jews are trying to kill him when he gets to Jerusalem. So he's about two days away, and he waits two more days before he even leaves. Now here's what's interesting, verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. In fact, the so in verse 6 is another conjunction that joins verse 5 and verse 6 together with verse 6 being the cause. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus so. Therefore, so, therefore, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. He loved them, so he delayed. He loved them, so he let the darkness deeper into their lives. And he lets Lazarus die. He loved them, so he lets Martha and Mary enter into deep, deep grief. These are two women who had great faith in Jesus. Don't believe the lie that if you have great faith, no suffering will come into your life. Two women who had great faith in Jesus. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Mary says the same thing later. They obviously trusted Jesus. They obviously had great faith in Jesus. Jesus obviously loved them. And yet, Lazarus dies and the darkness invades their lives. Unless you think this is just happening to Lazarus and Martha and Mary. He's just a victim and Jesus just told us not to do anything and death invaded their lives. Jesus makes it clear in verse 4 exactly what's going on. This is happening so that the Son of Man could be glorified through it. And as typical in John's gospel, there's layers going on here. And you see what's happening is Jesus is going to build the faith of his disciples. He's going to display the depth of his love for Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. But more importantly, he is going to display his mission through this darkness. This is the last of Jesus' seven signs in John's gospel. You'll remember that John's purpose in writing is to reveal the signs of Jesus so that we may believe and have belief in his name, have life. So this is the last of his signs. John's gospel, this is, this is the climactic chapter. If you're following the plot line of John, the, this is the climactic chapter. Everything's been building up to this. Everything's going to build away from this. Lazarus is going to die 
This is the ultimate sign. And then Lazarus is going to be raised from the dead. And you see what Jesus is doing. He's moving closer and closer to the cross. As he enters Jerusalem for the very last time. It is to die the death we deserve to die. And live again with victory over sin, Satan and death in his resurrection. This is a sign of the death and resurrection of Jesus. He's playing out the drama. Darkness will come. But it will not overcome the light. And that's the way God works. His purposes are often so layered and complex. That none of us have the high vantage point. Of being able to see whether he is working out good. He is always working out good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, even when the darkness breaks in. I have suggested that the why question when we are in pain is not the best question for us to ask. Because the reasons of God are so beyond our comprehension. That doesn't mean we just take it by faith. We do take it by faith, but that doesn't mean that we don't ask questions. I just think that the better question is not why, not what are you doing. I think the better question is, how do you feel about this? God, how do you feel about this? Show me your heart. And then the other question that we're, we really need to ask is, is this going to kill me? Will this, will this darkness destroy me? Because even the darkness in the hands of the good shepherd becomes a tool of the Father's love. Jesus is standing outside the village of Lazarus. He waits four days. He gets there four days after he dies. And he's standing outside of the village of Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And Mary joins up with him there and and Jesus sees them weeping. And Jesus in this passage displays two very clear, key emotions. Look at verse 33. He's deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Verse 35, he weeps. God, how how do you feel about the darkness? Lord Jesus, how do you feel about the darkness? He feels the full range of emotions because he is fully human. And he shows what it looks like to engage emotionally with the darkness. And here particularly he feels the dark emotions of anger and sorrow. And we need to feel these things ourselves. I I think many people fall deeper into depression and anxiety than we need to when it invades our lives because our emotions are so all bottled up inside that we're afraid of touching them, let alone expressing them. And so Jesus sort of gives us a map here for how we emotionally engage with the darkness. And the first thing that we're told is that he was greatly moved in spirit. That's too tame. The Greek here is is so much deeper than that. It conveys anger. Sometimes it's used in the Greek world to describe an angry stallion or a war horse in the midst of battle. Like steam and snot coming out of its mouth. 
and spit all over the place because he's angry, he's furious. And you see what's happened with Jesus is he, he looks at the darkness that's invaded his world and it infuriates him. Again, he responds this way when he's standing directly in front of Lazarus' tomb in verse 38. He is angry because the enemy of death has broken in. This is not the way God made this world to be. The end game of sin and Satan is disintegration. The disintegration of our relationship with God. The disintegration of ourselves and the disintegration of the body and the soul at death. And so death is their greatest work. And Jesus is not dispassioned by sin, Satan, and death. He hates it. And he hates what it's done to his good creation. It's an honest acknowledgement by Jesus. Things are not the way they are supposed to be. He's angry enough. To defeat these enemies. With resurrection life. He doesn't look at the suffering. The darkness. Whatever darkness has invaded your life. So there's not a single person in this room. That darkness has not invaded your life. He doesn't look at the darkness dispassioned. He hates it. And the second emotion that he feels. Is perhaps one of the most Famous verses in the Bible. Verse 35. Jesus wept. There's weeping going on all around Jesus at this point. Jews at this time would have hired professional mourners at a funeral. They would have been with them probably when they came out to meet Jesus on the outskirts of town. Professional mourners would have come. They would have, their job was just to weep and wail. They would have met him at the tomb when he approaches the tomb. They would come out and meet their job. Is, it's just a cacophony. It's just this loud sound of weeping and wailing. And Mary's, so Mary's weeping in verse 31 by the way John describes Jesus weeping, though, is different. It's deeper. It's a completely different word in the original language. It's a deeper Sadness that is conveying a more intense sorrow. Mary is weeping because she had lost her brother to death. But Jesus is weeping because of the pain that they were feeling. Her pain was almost intensified in his own heart so that he wept. You've got a picture in your mind's eye the intensity This verb may be short, but hang out here for a minute and picture the Lord Jesus sobbing, weeping, pain of his, your Savior. The kind of sorrow that drops you to your knees. All your strength is gone. Intensified, her sorrow met the heart of Jesus and became his with more intensity. Parents, you've experienced this, a little bit of this dynamic. It is possible for a parent to feel their child's sorrow much deeper than they experience it. It enters into the loving heart of their mother and just gets intensified and born 
by her so that whatever they feel becomes so much more intense in her heart. How do you feel about this? Oh, I care so deeply that I'm going to do something about it. Will the darkness destroy me? Like, what do you, do you care about? Yes, I care. I love you. I'm angry at this. I'm going to do something about it. Will the darkness destroy me? I mean, because look, a, a compassionate shepherd is good. A compassionate Jesus is good. But a compassionate shepherd with no power to help is absolutely no use to me. I need his compassion married with his power. And I think this next step is so huge and it's so hard for us to get. But the answer to our darkness is always light. But that light always comes in the form of a person. You see, Jesus inserts one more delay into the darkness. But this one is is even more intimate. Before he raises Lazarus, by the time we get to Lazarus being raised from the dead, it's very anticlimactic. Jesus is like, Lazarus, come on, it's time to go. So he inserts another delay, right? He's, his, this is no big deal for him, but he wants to engage the delay. The next delay is to engage. Verse 25. He could raise Lazarus from the dead at this point, but he waits. And he looks her in the eye and he says this. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Let me give us four things to walk away Four acts of faith to walk out the door with, right? These aren't things to do. These are just things to uh, maybe engage with Jesus on. First, notice this pattern. Because if you notice the pattern, you can engage the power of the person. And the pattern goes like this. I am. This is what I do. Do you believe? This is who I am. I am the resurrection and the life. And because this is who I am, though he die, yet shall he live and never die. Do you believe this? And that order is important for relationship because we have a tendency, we all have this tendency in my heart. I know you have it in yours. I want the stuff, Jesus, but I, I, I don't know if I really want you. I love the forgiveness of my sins. I love the righteousness you've given me. I love your spirit. I love the gospel. But Jesus is constantly confronting, do you love my benefits more than me? Because what I really need is Jesus. I don't just need the things that he gives. I need more than that. This is who I am. This is what I can do for you. This is what I will do for you. Do you believe? He just pauses to make that clear to her. Secondly, notice the goal. Right? Notice the pattern so you engage the power, but notice the goal so you can set your expectations. Here's what the sisters 
get out of the interaction. And the order, again, here is significant. They see the glory of Jesus, then they receive their brother back from the dead. And the order is important because it is the order of priority in which the Lord works. The darkness is not going to kill you. But you got to recognize the bigger mission of Jesus is more than just meet our needs as we lay them out for him. And sometimes that delay of God not answering prayers is him saying, it's like, it's like when my, my six-year-old asks for dessert. You know, like dinner is just the means to get to dessert. So we ask for dessert first, which you would think would be a good thing since she's my daughter. But it it would spoil her appetite for what is best. And sometimes when the Savior delays, it is because I have something good for you that you don't know what your appetites crave. They crave me. And so notice the goal is not just to meet our needs. he He is more intense on carrying out the mission of God to destroy the darkness. And some of that darkness remains in our own hearts. His mission is to bring glory to the Father by undoing the effects of sin. All of the brokenness of this world has to be undone by Jesus. But in order for Him to display that in our own hearts, He's got to undo some of the darkness that remains. So He's going to bring us deeper into fellowship with Him. I've benefited a lot from a number of books in the last few months. One of them is a book by Craig Barnes called When God Interrupts. Basic premise is what do you do when the darkness invades and then it just lingers? He says this, A subtle drama occurs every day, but it's harder for us to see. And that is because our preference for the same middle ground in life makes us blind to the passions of real life. If we actually believed God was waiting for us at the higher and lower ends of life, we might not choose to settle into this middle ground where it is hard to see the drama of God where the days are so gray. We might choose instead to venture out into the deeper colors of life that we are called to explore. Most of us do not cry hard enough or laugh loudly enough. I think we avoid the drama because we're afraid of it. We have been taught to live too too much of life on the flat plain between the highs and lows where we settle for reasonable expectations that starve the passion out of life. Christians who have lost their lives following Jesus give up modest hopes. Being his disciple is much too dramatic for cautious living. And Jesus himself spent most of the time at the highs and lows of life. And so what do you see what he's doing? He's bringing us both to the highs and lows. He says, because I want to meet you there. I don't want you to be flat and lukewarm anymore. So notice the pattern, because it's the ability to engage the power. Notice the goal, which is more of Jesus, so you can set our expectations. Notice, thirdly, the means of the power, so you can engage with hope. I will wait for you, I will wait for you. 
On your word, I will rely. Jesus doesn't walk to the tomb. He doesn't walk into the tomb and raise Lazarus. He just stands at a distance. And with the power of his voice, he cries out. And Lazarus is raised from the dead. With his word, he speaks. And resurrection power comes into the darkness. And and Lazarus rises from the dead. This is the voice of the one who is the resurrection and life. He doesn't teach us about resurrection and life. He is the resurrection and life. He doesn't give us steps to follow. He is the one who through his word brings life into the darkness and life to death. This is the power of the Savior who through his word you're going to trust all of your life, all of your darkness, no matter how weak Your faith is when he speaks, he speaks with resurrection life. And if his word is powerful enough to raise the dead, then it's powerful enough to transform our experiences and draw us into the power that he has. And as you find yourself in times of struggle, avail yourself of the word of Jesus. This is no time to starve yourself. If you're in the darkness, this is no time to starve yourself. Because the life and the voice of the one who's angry and weeps and cares and loves, that voice comes through his word that raises the dead. And finally, notice this. Notice the end. And keep your eyes fixed on it. Because if this is the story that you find yourself in right now. Darkness is just invaded. And it's lingering. Notice the end. Sin, Satan, and death. Do not get the final victory. And in Lazarus' resurrection we've just gotten this little glimpse but remember Jesus is marching towards his own death on the cross where he would bear the full weight of God's wrath for our sin and die to set us free from sin's power and then be raised from the dead and Lazarus is just a sign of the greater work for Jesus is the resurrection and the life whoever believes in me he has promised shall not die though he die just a step Yet shall he live. That's the end. Whatever we're going through, we know how this story ends. Not because Lazarus has been raised, but because Jesus has been raised. I have a completely healthy, sanctified fear of roller coasters. And for years we lived around the (coughs) corner of Bush Gardens and... Because I have a healthy, sanctified fear of roller coasters, I've only ridden them on two occasions. On the third occasion, we had my daughters drug me on roller coasters this past winter, and I hated every minute of it. One of my friends drove me, <coughs> drug me. To Islands of Adventure, Universal's Islands of Adventure, which has an awful roller coaster called the Incredible Hulk. 
Now, most roller coasters drag you up a giant hill to, to plummet you to your sur- sure and certain death. This one launches you up a massive hill with incredible force. I'd never been on a launch coaster before. My friend <laughs> looked at me and he had been on it. As I'm leaning up talking to him, puts his head hand on my head and gently pushes me back and he says, you, you might want to lean back and hold on. It really is a good ride. And it was an abrupt start to an awful experience. And he smiled. He just smiled and laughed the whole way through. Because he knew that the abrupt start and the gut-wrenching drops in the middle would end with our arrival back to a place of relief, rest, and security. So he enjoyed the ride. He's, Jesus has ridden this ride. As the writer of Hebrews says, he's the forerunner. He's the one who goes before us and he's come out victorious on the other side. Hang on. He says, you might want to Put your head back. I'm right here laughing with you because I know where this ends. And in the end, all things, I will put all things back the way they're supposed to be. Because I am the resurrection and the life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the lovely source of great delight. All that our heart needs, all that it longs for, even in the darkness, can be found in you. And so speak words of life and hope and encouragement as you lead us at times through the valley of the shadow of death. For with you as our good shepherd, we fear no evil. For all things in your hands, all things are working together for good. So we trust you, and we praise you, and we love you. Amen.